Welcome to the Makeshift CMO, a startup marketing podcast for founders and early stage company teams. All right, everyone, welcome to this beautiful Tuesday evening. You are hearing this on audio, so I don't know if you know if it's beautiful, but today I'm joined by Aaron Blasky, the ultimate fractional CMO, startup and scale up and marketing consultant and advisor. I met Aaron when I was a youngin at a startup called EnergyX Solutions in the cohort of LSpark Accelerator. And Aaron was quite literally the first person I got on a call with because we need to talk marketing strategy. And frankly, that's what we're going to run today's call like today. There are many founders and solo marketers out there who are like, wow, I wish I could get a mentor while this episode is pretty much that for you. So Aaron, it is lovely to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. And honestly, I think back fondly to our first conversation all the time. And I clearly remember thinking, wow, Bruce joined a company called Energy X and Bruce has the most energy out of anyone I've ever met. So it was perfect. (laughs) You were right on brand. Yeah, for sure, for sure. (laughs) So for those who don't know, Erin does it all in the world of marketing. She is an instructor for the Telfer School of Management at the University of Ottawa. She is an advisor to several marketing startups, but perhaps what we want to start off today is the fact that Erin has been sort of the CMO in your pocket to a variety of startups, always been a marketing consultant advisor. So why don't we start off with the typical podcast origin story? How did you start in marketing? How did you get here? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So oftentimes when I tell this story, I take people back all the way to 1986. So buckle in, Bruce, (laughs) we're going to go back in time. Yeah. But the long story short is basically back in, you know, the late 80s, my dad came home with a Commodore 64. And for anyone not familiar, it's a computer. And I was honestly blown away by what this technology was, what it did, and being a girl from a very small town with not a lot of examples of tech or entrepreneurship or anything like that, I sort of had my mind blown wide open just with this one piece of technology and it clearly had an enormous impact. And what was funny was like really early on with that computer, my sister and I would play office often and I was always the CEO. She was always my secretary, (laughs) always. She's younger, so she had to be. But I just had this inherent desire to be a leader and I didn't necessarily know what that meant or what it would look like specifically, but I just had this kind of vision. And so fast forward to when I was in high school, I decided to, you know, as a summer job, instead of taking a job somewhere, I wanted to print out flyers and hand them out across like my entire small town, offering my word processing skills, you know, with like Word and PowerPoint. I was really good at that stuff. But I ended up getting kind of that plan got thwarted by my aunt and uncle. They owned an ice cream store. So they asked if I wanted to scoop ice cream instead. And that sounded way better at 16 because it was all the ice cream I could eat. (laughs) So I didn't do the business then, but I shared that story because it actually became the premise of my first company when in 2004, I decided to start a virtual assistance business. And I was really kind of fresh out of school. I was teaching at a private college. And yeah, just decided that, you know what, why not give it a go, start my own company and try this out. And my very first clients were actually startups in Silicon Valley, who I found through a a site called Elance, which is now Upwork. 
and no yeah, way no yeah. that is that's yeah. an early adopter if i've ever yes. heard of it <laughs> yeah exactly it was like yeah definitely a great client theater for me back in the day and yeah i just ended up finding these clients and learned from them pretty early on like what it meant to do at the time internet marketing which then evolved to online marketing which then evolved to digital marketing I and mean, we've had many terms but really had this amazing crash course you know working with all of these companies and pivoted from virtual assistance to marketing and then spent 14 years servicing clients. And I worked with over 300 different companies in that time period, grew the business simply just from word of mouth and referrals to over a quarter of a million a year, which was like, not, you know, it's not like huge, but it's at the same time for a small agency, for a small town girl was more money than I ever saw in my entire lifetime. And so just had a lot of like really fun time servicing all of these amazing businesses. And then long story short, which I know I can't make long story short, but I try. But in 2017, I started consulting with Elspark, the startup accelerator yeah, where we met yeah. and ended up joining them full time. So pivoted from self-employment to employment, which most people never do. And then in 2019, no, 2020, 20, I, yes, 2020. I was like, what year are we in? Anyway, yeah, yeah. In 2020, I joined Fellow, a B2B SaaS software company and uh, spent a year as their first head of marketing hire at the beginning of this year, quitting my job. And I quit my job with nothing lined up <laughs> the beginning of this year. I just said, you know what? I'm kind of feeling like getting back to consulting. And uh, yeah, so quit the job and put it out on LinkedIn. And within three weeks, I had 70 phone calls and numerous opportunities, which I then turned into my current business, which is basically what I was doing before, but just doing it a little bit smarter. So that is, yeah. that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. There's a lot to unpack. <laughs> I There's know. A lot I'm to, sorry. I, okay. <laughs> so why don't we talk about the first human piece of it, which was saying, I'm going to quit my job and go back yep. to what I really am. How did that decision tree come out? Was yep. it, you know, when you were at home with your daughter, your fiance on a walk, like how did that come about? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's multifaceted for sure. So I think for me, what I had realized is, you know, I spent a year at Fellow as, as their head of marketing hire and I loved it. Like I honestly loved it. It was a fantastic team, fantastic software. I still use it for all of my meetings today. Yeah. So I'm still a huge fan, but for me, what I realized is that if I really look back at my full career, I've spent a lot of time supporting B2B SaaS companies and software companies and tech companies and everything. Like I've done at this point, I've worked with a lot of different companies, but the difference in, if I look back at all of history compared to being full-time in one software company, the primary difference is that I always was surrounded by a lot of people. And I always had a lot of community around the roles that I was doing. And if I didn't have community, I was working with a lot of clients, which meant that I had, you know, a very dynamic position all the time. And it was very people focused. But when I got into the role at the software, like at Fellow, and it was like, you know, purely a marketing leadership role, like working on software, what I realized that kind of wasn't there for me personally was just that same dynamic nature of like the lack of community, the lack of like people. And if you remember my time at Elspark, cause like we knew each other then that role was all people all the time. All people, was, literally. All people. I was working with startup founders. I was working with their teams. I was like hosting tons of events. I was running programs, Man. like all people 
all the time. And all, all events, all yeah, the time. And I, I loved advising the startups that were building software companies, but the difference was it wasn't the only thing I did and I wasn't solely, you know, heads down and focused on just that. So even though we had a lot of success in the first year that I was there at Fellow, and even though I loved the company and the team and everything else, I really had to get real with myself at the end of the year and ask like, am I happy? You know, am I really like, truly feeling fulfilled. And the answer was really kind of no, like I was missing a lot of that people focus. And yeah, even though it was like all of our numbers were up to the right, like that's where you want them to go. You know, it was like, great. Yeah. I just had to sort of say like, I can't try to be around what, what's the saying? Like a square peg in a round hole, you know? Yeah. yeah. I can't. I need to honor myself. And I don't want to speak for fellow, but it's probably a great company that looks at a conversation like that and recognizes, yeah, yeah, we sure. And that's probably what happened. But I want to yeah. pivot to something else when it comes to yeah. the advising startups piece. The audience yeah. is constituted of, first of all, at fellow, you were the director of marketing. I'm guessing it was a lean team. Like yes. you were. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Very hands-on so tactical director of marketing. Yes. Exactly. So let's <laughs> yeah. just get to that piece of it. At LSpark, and probably what you do right now, these companies do not have tens of thousands of dollars to spend on ads. No. They cannot go after every channel. Nope. <laughs> so let us suppose a B2B SaaS startup hires yeah. a solo marketer. What is your first piece of advice to them? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So for me, the thing that a lot of companies don't get right, because they're so focused on like shiny, trendy, you know, flash in the pan things, what they actually don't get right is their foundations. And it's not sexy. It's a little bit boring. But honestly, if every startup just took a pause and really looked at the foundational elements of their marketing, everything else they do after that point, all the like trendier things would be so much more successful. So what I mean when I say foundations is like really doing a deep dive on your website. Is it set up for conversions? Like is the messaging and the positioning on the website the right fit? Have you experimented with copy? Have you had someone that's outside of the company look at it and actually be able to explain what it is you do and who you serve and what the benefits are? And more often than not, the answer to all of those questions is no. That like there's a fat no. Yeah, it's a really it's, it's a, a really big no. no. <laughs> and yeah. and the truth is, like I've looked at some websites and even like for example, I mean I could share this because anyone can go back with the Wayback Machine and check it out. But you know when I got to Fellow, like the website was very light. They hadn't put a lot of effort into it. Not that they haven't put effort, but they just didn't put a lot of like iterations into it yet. And so it was very basic. There wasn't a lot of product shots on it yet. They hadn't really figured out how to talk about the benefits in a really interesting way. They hadn't outlined the features or any of the case studies or use cases. And so one of the very first things that I said when I got there is I was like, we're redoing the website, you know, which is actually a running joke for CMOs and directors of marketing because it's usually the first thing people want to do when they land is like, we're scrapping everything, rebuild. But I actually was starting from not having to do an entire rebuild. We actually were building a lot of it fresh um, because they just didn't have some of the things in place. So that's foundational. The other thing that's foundational is like building your lead gen systems. Like, do you have a lead gen tool? And if you do, like, do you actually have funnels attached to it? Like, are you doing nurture sequences or, you know, retention sequences? Are you like doing anything to surprise and delight your existing customers? 
a lot of these things are very, again, not sexy and they're not necessarily like, oh, we have to get on TikTok because it's new and trendy and ooh, we need this new clubhouse event because that's new and trendy. Like these things are boring in some ways, but it's so important. And if you think about it, like layering a cake or building a house, if you're found and the building the house is probably the most accurate. Like if you're building a house, your foundation needs to be super solid for everything above it to like withstand the test of time. And with marketing, it's like if your foundation is not solid and then you go out into the world and you spend money on ads and you spend money on partnerships and you spend money on all these other things, yeah, that's wasted dollars if the foundation they're coming back to isn't solid, right? And if it's not set up to convert those people in the best way possible. So foundations, that's where I would start every time. What nobody wants to hear these days is that in the early stages of a startup, your customer acquisition comes from what you touched on earlier, referrals and word of mouth. That's number one. And number two, Mm -hmm. what no investor probably wants to hear is that the fastest way to accelerate ARR is actually just to keep your own customers and make them happy. (laughs) That's the dirty, guys, that's the dirty secret. (laughs) I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. It's way less expensive to make your current customers spend more than it is to acquire brand new customers every time. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. For sure. So now that you're doing your own thing, you had 70 phone calls, whatever it was, the moment you left your full-time job, how does Erin Blasky, the brand decide which startups she's going to work with? What is the underlying common purpose behind those startups? Yeah. Yeah. So great question. So I kind of have like, you know, and it's interesting. I've been trying to think about this as well because I do so many things on gut feeling and not necessarily because I have a beautiful master plan, which is funny because when I work with clients, I always have beautiful master plans, (laughs) but for me, for myself, I don't in many cases. So what I've gravitated toward, and if, you know, if I look kind of back at the last five, six weeks of starting this company, because literally I've been onboarding clients as I'm also incorporating and setting up business bank accounts and, you know, doing the whole thing at the same time, you know, as I've been doing that, I've actually had an opportunity now to take a pause and look back and say like, oh, who have I onboarded? What are the trends? What are the patterns? Like, what kind of companies do I typically gravitate toward? And interestingly enough, there are a couple patterns. And so one of them is definitely like, I love working with early stage startups that aren't early in their revenue. So a lot of the companies have actually like a fair amount of revenue, but they are early in their marketing adoption and their marketing execution. So to your point, they've managed to build a lot of their revenue based on referrals, their own network. They've done a lot of the word of mouth stuff internally. They've maybe brought on a couple beta customers that are like, you know, the people that kind of have helped build the company out or the product out. And so they have revenue, but no real marketing yet. And so I love coming in at that phase because I love building. Like I love building Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. foundations. I love building the initial marketing campaigns. I love building sort of some of those, like building out some of the channels and making the decisions on like where we need to double down. So that's a big piece of it. And then I've also noticed a trend that I work with a lot of service-based companies that are in the process of developing technology to solve a problem that their clients Mm. have. And it's just like, I didn't do that on purpose. That was just like a pattern that emerged after I chose the clients I work with. So that's sort of two of the things. And then I also do a lot of work with accelerators. So I work with about four to five different accelerators across Canada and actually Mm -hmm. global as well. And I'm working 
consulting with a lot of their companies on an ongoing basis. So taking it a step into the CMO fractional role, you have that niche of companies who have some revenue, Mm -hmm. but need to expand their marketing. On average, how much time, and maybe it's not the greatest measure, but how much time does each company require? Average it out, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So I actually do it a little bit differently in that every single client that I work with is a very custom working relationship. So I don't have a cookie cutter way I work with people. The way that it usually works is I get on the phone with them. We have a conversation. I understand the company's needs, where they're at, the marketing team makeup, current, you know, opportunities, challenges, like all that good stuff. And then typically I'm almost, because in many cases, the founder doesn't know what they need or what they need to do. So I'm in many cases telling them like what I believe the best plan of attack is for them. And then I'm also attaching the way that I would work alongside of that plan in the best way that that's going to work for them. And so sometimes, for example, with one client, I identified that as much as like the fractional CMO thing is interesting for them, they actually need a full-time marketing hire. And so one of the very first projects I did with them was actually came on board to hire their first marketing person. I was going to say that must be big because I don't think I've met a singular founder out there. And that's kind of why I started recording this podcast is I don't think I've met a singular founder who it's like, all right, your first marketing hire. Yeah. Like, where do they start? Like, I think we, we were talking back and forth on LinkedIn about this. I think every first marketer job posting is just just doesn't make any sense. No, no. it's a unicorn. It's like, (laughs) all right, you need to be like a unicorn with this many feathers on your tail and your horns, just that type of thing. And you need to be junior because we don't want to pay you a lot, but you also need to be senior enough to have like ample strategy, like strategic, you know, visioning ability. And yeah, it's honestly, it's a nightmare. (laughs) Yeah. So I was going to ask you this, but do you find more often than not, that you have to push founders towards this direction of like, hey, when you hire your first marketing person, you can't have the whole charcuterie board, okay? You can have two cheeses and maybe one type of salami. Have you ever found that that is like the case that you're pushing founders towards? Oh yeah, honestly, the the majority of my job is about expectation setting, like an expectation all the time, not just in hiring either. It's just like setting expectations for the client across the board, you know? this is what's reasonable to expect from your marketing. Like this is what's reasonable to expect from like a newsletter open rate or conversions, you know, from a webinar or like whatever it is. My entire job is setting expectations (laughs) and managing them. That is just what I do. I don't have any stat to prove this, but I anecdotally find that every founder either comes from a engineering background or a business development background. And both of those, I find both of those job functions their like viewpoint and relationship with marketing is inherently not wired the right way for the expectations to be properly managed. So I would assume that's a huge challenge for you. Yeah. Yeah. I've been actually really pretty fortunate. The majority of times I've had CEOs like at fellow, for example, the CEO at fellow completely buys into marketing. He's got a marketing background and he is an engineer as well, but he like, he's got a marketing background, which meant that it was actually really easy to come in and get buy-in on anything we wanted to do. And for him to basically understand, you know, why some of the campaigns were being chosen and channels and things like that. So that was actually really nice. Same thing at Elspark. Like we had, um, 
you know, founders, executive director that absolutely believed in what we were doing from a marketing perspective and knew the value and importance. So also very helpful. However, I have worked with clients for sure where they just don't have that ability. And so a prime example is, you know, I was chatting with a founder recently through email where he was looking to get some support for his marketing team. And you could just tell through some of the conversations where there was a lot of expectation in terms of like what this person that he had hired, this junior hire should be able to do and in what sort of time frame. And a big part of like the conversation that I had to have was just like, well, I think that's actually maybe a little unrealistic, you know, and like, I end up being the bad guy in many scenarios in terms of sort of having those tough conversations, unless you're willing to invest in both resource and time and money. And like the goals you have are actually going to be in some cases difficult to achieve. I have to have those conversations and they're not always fun, but at the same time, like it's business, you know, it's not personal and everybody has their strengths. It would be no different than if someone was to try to teach me how to code tomorrow, right? I could see myself having a conversation with a developer where I'd be like, come on, this can't be that difficult to develop. It's just like a couple buttons on a page and, you know, like everyone's guilty of it because when you don't know the intricacies and the complexities of something, it's very easy to minimize the effort on the outsides. And I think it's even harder when you are a senior marketer with experience and you're quick at things and you're, you know, you have the ability to move through things a little bit faster and easier. There's even more expectation placed on that for things to just be easy. And all you need to do is just get in there. And I always tell people like, no one marketer is a silver bullet. People need to tamper their expectations. You know, you're not going to hire someone who's going to fix every single problem in your business tomorrow ever never (laughs) it doesn't matter who they are (laughs) well you know it's not gonna happen well let's talk about how people have tried to section off the marketing function in this day and age and you and i i believe we were going back and forth on the same linkedin post about something that we were clapping about because it's terrible or we think it's terrible but the way that people are trying to section off what marketing functions are today Mm-hmm. you know, demand generation, yep. revenue marketing, growth you know, marketing, growth marketing, marketing. <laughs> performance marketer. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? How do we fix the Silicon Valley-ization of marketing roles? <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, I don't know that I have an answer on how to fix it, but I definitely think we're going a little too far. You know, I think in that same LinkedIn post, I said something to the effect of like, there's not a single marketer on the planet whose job is to make the company smaller, you know? So like everything we attempt to do is growth. We're all looking for our numbers to go up and to the right. So I think it's kind of funny in a way. This happens. Like I even said it in my, when I was chatting about my history, right? Like we went from internet marketing to online marketing to digital marketing. Honestly, nothing changed except for the channels and the platforms that are now at our disposal. Like at the end of the day, the tactics of marketing are still the same. It's still like a human. They're the same as they were like in 1986. Yeah. The medium changes, but like the actual like essence of what you're trying to accomplish doesn't really change a whole lot. And I think like, yes, there's going to be things that evolve. For example, community marketing is definitely a huge thing that's popped up in the last little while. And so sometimes it's warranted, but I think like for demand, gen, performance, growth, like what these people are really getting at is in many cases, like demand gen is often synonymous with paid acquisition, you know, like 
not always, but usually when I talk to people, they're exactly, like, yeah. need a demand gen person. And I'm like, what do you really need? We need someone to manage our paid ads. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, then you need someone who has experience with paid ads. Cool. Yeah. But like, it doesn't need to have a sexy title. We just need to focus in on what is the channel or what is the thing you're trying to achieve? And then, you know, what's the metric? But at the end of the day, yeah, the titles, I don't know. I think it's just a little funny right now. I don't know. I don't have anything else to add. No, I, funny. it is funny. It is funny, but at least it shows the industry is trying to define, I would argue the most misunderstood function other than maybe operations at any tech startup in my mind anyways. Yeah. Let's- but I guess like the one thing I will say though, Bruce, that I'm really happy that the thing I do think is a positive is that I think what we do need to move away from is this idea of like the silver bullet or the unicorn marketer, meaning like you hire the one marketer who's going to handle the thousand functions that happen inside of marketing, right? Cause like marketing is very multifaceted. It's the pin tweet on my profile right now, right? And as a startup marketer, you're responsible for like paid acquisition, organic marketing, SEO, content, events, partnerships, I mean, the list goes on and on video editing, podcast editing, like the list for marketers is enormous. And I think what we do need to move away from is assuming that we can hire this one person that's going to be responsible for all of these things and do all of them impeccably well, not possible. And we need to sort of fix that. So if moving towards all these like very unique, sexy Silicon Valley-esque titles is what needs to happen to like get there, I'm all for it. But only if it helps that aspect of it. Well said, well said. I want to pivot into something else that the audience is going to be interested in. Yeah. Frankly, just knowing Erin personally, Erin's done some cool shit in her career. Uh, <laughs> she's spoken at TED conferences for the audience. Tell us about something that was just like, when you look back in your career, it's like, wow, I helped that person do this. What is like that cool, aha, like these are the moments I live for moment or project of your career? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Honestly, like a lot of the moments I have like that actually stem from being a very naive person at the time. You know, like I said, I grew up in a very small town. I didn't know much about the world. Like I grew up in a place where it was mostly blue collar. Main industry was logging and lumber mills. I didn't grow up in a place where surrounded by like tech and startup people, like it just was not my life. And so I think in the early, early days, when I landed my first client and they happened to be in Silicon Valley, I didn't even know what Silicon Valley was. In fact, I'm pretty sure I called it Silicon Valley for quite some time. So I always just had these moments of like being a little, like a little bit naive, but also just a little bit, you know, I approached everything with like, everything was magical and everything was so cool. And another moment that happened that I think is so funny is that I was doing some work for this woman named Justine and Justine was a blogger and a writer and an incredible person in general. And I was helping her with her personal brand. And this is actually quite embarrassing and also funny, but it's fine. I'm going to share it. Anyway, so her name is Justine Musk. And I only learned after working with her for many years um, that that she's Elon Musk's ex-wife. And so literally... Here I am with a one degree separation from one of the, you know, arguably most notorious successful people on the planet. And I had no idea, like none. 
Zero. And they were all over the media all the time. So it's not like she was an unknown spouse or anything. Like their divorce was very public. It was very messy. And I was working with her, helping her grow a brand and had no idea. So a lot of the stories that I have are actually like that, like falling into some conferences without realizing like that they were massive conferences. And I think part of the magic that when I look back at my career, I think some of those moments were what made it all really special that I didn't have a lot of ego going into those things. And I just wanted to help people. And I didn't really care about who they were or whether they had clout or if they were important. And as a result, I ended up working with like Hollywood actors and professional athletes and got tickets to a Boston Red Sox game because one of my clients was the pitcher and like just crazy things. But at the time I never looked at that stuff as though I deserve this or I earned, it was just sort of, I was in awe all the time you know, of like everything that I was experiencing. And I think those are kind of the moments I still try to hold today. Being 20 years now into my career, I still want to have those same feelings. I still want to feel like I'm in awe when those moments happen, you know? For those who don't have time to Google it, Justine Musk, they married Elon in 2000. So I bet they met at Queens. They did. Yeah, they did. Shout out Ontario, Canada. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's freaking awesome. I follow a lot of sort of micro marketing influencers on LinkedIn. And you know, one of the things they say is that empathy is the best underrated marketing strategy. And speaking of these, one good thing that advisors really do is they teach their mentees, teach a man to fish, that, that type of thing. So who are some influences, people that you follow on LinkedIn or on social media, whatever it is that just solidly drop great marketing gems that anybody can pick on whether you know you're a founder or a marketer with only one two years experience like I once was back in the day yeah so there's so many and honestly in many cases I hate making lists because I feel so bad leaving anyone out that's amazing so what I will say I'll give you a couple different things that I find particularly helpful so on Twitter specifically there is a hashtag called marketing Twitter honestly incredible community and anyone who's tweeting on the well most people who are tweeting on the marketing Twitter hashtag are sharing such great insights and valuable knowledge and templates and resources like it's a great community so I highly recommend checking that out I also really love Dave Gerhardt's podcast, forgetting the name of right now. I feel so bad. I'm so sorry, Dave. But that podcast, it's a CMO podcast as well. It's really great as well. There's another podcast called Everybody Hates Marketers. That one's really great. It's a very tactical podcast. And I love just that like it goes into very specific tactical things, which I'm always looking for more tactical content than I am like aspirational. So I like that podcast. I would say on Twitter as well, like April Dunford is great around positioning and messaging and her book, Obviously Awesome, is really great. I mean, the list is long. I have so many people that I follow and honestly, like I think I can learn something from everyone. So whether someone's just like been in marketing for six months, they have things that they're going to share with me that ways of thinking about things or a creative way to solve a problem that open my eyes as well. So I look to anyone that I'm connected to or follow or meet as a source of inspiration. And just on cue, a post appeared in my LinkedIn feed or Dave Gerhart. <laughs> posts a photo of himself making a video on Twitter saying, I would hire a marketing operations first and Mm. second. I think what he was saying was before that, three, four years ago, he was like, yeah, I would say hire like paid or something else like that. But I think he is resonating 
with what you said to be in the episode, which is that foundational piece. Get a marketing operations person who understands yes. like, do we use HubSpot or would you use MailChimp? Do we need yep. someone who knows the dangers of relying on a Zapier integration for mm-hmm. you know a workflow? Like, and your uh, data, is, are, right? Data is exactly. a huge one. Your marketing ops person can help you sort that out because that's always a mess in companies that I have been. <laughs> always a mess. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like whether you use Google Analytics for EB, which is like the new kid on the block, stuff like that yeah. is super cool. One question I always start, I don't know why I always ask people this question is how do they deal with burnout on this podcast? Mm, that's um, a good one. Yeah. Yeah. How do I deal with burnout? So I've had, and I've been very open about my experience, but I basically in 20, I forget the year now, 2015, I've probably just blacked it out to be honest in my mind. But back in the day, I went through a significant period of burnout, like burnout, depression, the whole thing. And honestly, didn't think I was actually going to make it out of that experience alive. Like I was in a really dark, bad place. Well, thank Um, you for sharing. Yeah. I mean, thank you. I mean, I share because at the time it's gotten a lot better today, but at the time, not as many people were talking about it. And even the whole mental health conversation, I feel was still a little bit muted. Like people weren't having it as much. Thankfully that's really shifted in the last, I would say like three to four, even five years. But when I went through it, there just wasn't a ton of entrepreneurs talking about the downside and the dark side of entrepreneurship. So I went through this period of intense burnout And I think because I've gone through it once and I was able to get out of it and actually come out on the other side of it, I am deeply aware of the signs and the symptoms of burnout, what it looks like, what it looks like way before it gets really bad. It's really about keeping a close eye on my emotional state, on my mental state, on Mm -hmm. how I feel overall. And then taking the time when I need it. So if that means that I close my laptop at five o'clock and I don't look at my computer till the next day, even if I have clients and I feel like, oh, I should, I should check, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, if I need that time, I'm closing that laptop because at the end of the day, if I don't, I'm going to be worse the next day. And then the next day after that, you know, and it's a compounding effect. So I feel like because I've had that experience, I don't let myself slide into burnout. I'm much more apt to like wave the flag and be like, okay, I'm out taking like, even this past two weeks, I took Friday off and Monday off for the Easter holiday. My daughter was home and I just wanted to hang out with her. And I was like, this is important and I've got to take it. So I think you have to be your own best advocate and then just be very self-aware in terms of like understanding what burnout looks like for you, how it feels in your body. And then the minute you feel any of those symptoms, fix it go for a walk, get outside, go do something, do something that makes you happy immediately because like it will compound and the effects of the compounding nature of it are detrimental. So speaking of things that make you happy, things that make me happy when networking events come back, whenever that is, how have you sort of satiated the need to connect with people in this time? I could ask this to anyone, but asking you this is a particularly useful question. How have you figured out a way to battle Zoom fatigue while at the same time connecting and learning from people in these times? Yeah, yeah. So I would say it ebbs and flows. Some weeks I need more social interaction than others. And I think where I feel very fortunate is that I do have a really strong support system at home. So I've got an amazing kid and an incredible fiance. 
And in many cases, like many days can go by where I get everything I need from the two of them. And I'm very fulfilled and I feel very happy. And then other times, like I do need a little bit of that support or that kind of like conversation with other marketers or maybe other entrepreneurs. And then I seek those out in the communities I'm already a part of. So Twitter, I'm a part of Slack groups. I've got entrepreneur friends that I have on text. Sometimes we're hopping on a FaceTime, like maybe it's a Zoom chat. So in those moments though, I look for the opportunities to connect in a way that doesn't mean throwing on my video and having to perform. When I say Mm. perform, I mean like actually showing up being proper, you know? That's so true. For those who were not privy to me and Aaron's private conversations right before this, Aaron was like, Hey, do I need to do myself up for, you the, can for use the, video? the video from this? I don't care. I mean, whatever. I was like, I was like, if you want to, it's up to the people, but yeah, no, you can yeah, use no. it. I'm good. No, 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 Zoom, no. Zoom actually has the filter, which gives a little bit of a sheen, which is nice, but is no, Zoom? but like even this, this is pandemic life. I wear yeah. t-shirts. Yeah, I wear my hair hasn't been cut in however long. It it just is what it is. That's so cool. As we come to the end of the recording time, I always like to give everybody a place to plug something that they're doing, whether it's their side hustle, their business, or if they don't have one of those things, I've allowed people to plug causes. Aaron, how can people reach you? What is something if somebody's listening that could be a perfect fit for what's your call to action? Yeah, yeah. So I actually don't really market myself a whole lot right now, mostly because my client roster is quite full. And so I don't have anything like that to plug. But what I will say is I'd love to connect with anyone listening on social. So you can easily find me by Googling, you know, my name. It's my handle on most platforms is just at Aaron Blasky. So Mm -hmm, pretty mm -hmm. easy to find. And then what I would say is related to what we were talking about on burnout and that kind of thing. There is so many organizations that are focused on starting to build the conversation and the programming and the resources and support that are required for entrepreneurs and their mental health. You know, the Canadian Association of Mental Health is doing that with BDC. I would say definitely check out their reports if you're struggling at all. They've got some really good reports and insights that will make you feel way less alone. And then just like, yeah, look for your people. If you're at all struggling with any of those types of things, know that you're not in it alone. Like entrepreneurship is hard. Hard, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, you don't have to go through the hard side of it by yourself. So, yeah, I would just leave people with that resource. You can find Aaron at www.aaronerinblaskie.com. I'll put the link in the show notes and then at Aaron Blasky on Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram, Instagram, TikTok, um, YouTube. Yeah, you, <laughs> you, you name it. You name <laughs> yeah. it. It was over four years ago that I asked Erin my first question and learned a lot from her. And as of April 6th, 2021, that hasn't changed a beat. Erin, thank you so much for uh, coming on. Thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. And I'm so glad I got a little of that Bruce energy again. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Makeshift CMO. If you want to follow what we're doing to help early stage startups, founders, and marketers subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. For all business inquiries, please email us at bruce at thebannermarketing.co or follow us on IG at banner.co.